Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. Indie Game Business is recorded live on Mixer and produced by the Powell Group. Check us out at IndieGame.Business. Now, let's start the show with your hosts, Jay Powell and me, Indy. My name's Indy, and that gentleman over there on the other side that looks like he's pixelating sometimes, that's Mr. Jay Powell from Powell Group Consulting. And in the middle, we have our special guest, Toya Kristen Finley. Hi. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? I'm, I'm as good as one can be considering uh, the times that we currently live in. How are you? I'm doing fine. I mean, I've been working from home for ever, so... So really the only thing that for me that's different is usually like on on Friday nights I go out for a couple of hours and then on Thursday I go have a couple of beers with my friend but I'm just not doing that anymore so I just, just send him a Facebook message with a picture of a beer or something <laughs> This is the time when all of us that are gamers are supposed to be catching up on our Steam backlog, so we can't wait about it later on. Oh, I've got a bunch. Yeah, I've got a bunch of new games too. So yeah, I would if I would just stop playing Animal Crossing for a little while. But you know, it's um, it's one of those things. So, uh, Toya, thanks for for coming on the show. You know, there's a couple of things we want to talk about. I mean, obviously, the last three shows we've had are in some way, shape, or form wrapped around this coronavirus crap that's going around but you also have one of those niche jobs in the industry and so we'll start where we always start and tell us how you got into the industry initially and then walk us through your career up till now and so I am a writer and editor in general and when I say that I've been writing since I was four years old I mean that um, I have several degrees in writing, and let's see, about 13 years ago, I realized, you know, I really like playing games, and uh, somebody's got to be writing these games. I wonder how you write for games. And I, at that point in time, knew absolutely nothing about game development, uh, but I did something that you probably could not duplicate today. I went to the Google machine, and I typed in game writing jobs and I found something on Craigslist um, so wow. there was a, <laughs> yeah exactly um, so I found an indie startup they were doing a text-based game that indie startup is black chicken studios um, and they were making academasia the making of mages and so they were looking for lore writers and again know nothing about game development i didn't know lore writer was a role <laughs> but i did a test for it they liked what i was doing i came on board um a few months later they said we really like your stuff uh we'd like to make you an assistant designer again i don't know game design is a thing um but they gave me their mod tools taught me how to you know add stuff to the game and i became a game designer um, my first job where I was actually the game writer. And also at that time, 
I was really a narrative designer as well. Uh, this was back when nobody could agree on what narrative design was or if it really was a thing, if it was just a fancy name for game writing. But the way I was going about my game design and making decisions was from a narrative design point of view. And so years later, when we became um, more knowledgeable of, about what narrative design was and narrative design became more commonplace, I realized, oh, hey, I was doing that back on my very first gig. So that's how I got started. I then uh, used a platform called Elance, which some people may be familiar with. It used to be a freelancing platform. It has since shut down. There and I think we, oh, do you have anything open? Because you're, there we go. If you, oh, yeah, your camera was just all glitchy there for like a long oh, period okay. of time. Is everything okay now? Yeah, it's fine. Um, uh, I got several uh, jobs through Elance, either game design or game writing, um, and most of those will never see the light of day, um, you know, because that is the industry. Um, more recently, uh, I worked with uh, relevant games on um, Fat Chicken. I was the game writer for that. I have also done editing in games, both copy editing and what I what you would call developmental or substantive editing. Um, I am currently the senior editor for a startup called 10th News in Finland. Um, they have an app that's called Sauna Interactive, which is interactive romance. So I'm bringing writers on board. Um, I'm helping them through the writing of their stories and getting the stories onto the app. And I've also written interactive fiction. Um, uh, I did a, a story for Moments or Sim Story based upon the uh, operating system you are on. Um, and I've also done some copy editing for Chapters Interactive. So that's uh, my career in a nutshell. All right, so here's the, the first question. When you found this job on, on Craigslist, yeah. which is, I mean, <laughs> it sounds odd, but I mean, I found my first job in the industry in the classifieds of the university paper. You said you came in and you took the test and you passed the test. What was the test? Oh, so it was some kind of prompt. Um, I'm trying to remember. It was it was basically about uh, coming up with some kind of creature. Um, oh, because uh, so academia has a lot of lore in it. Classifieds uh, you know, it's event-based. We're always running into like um, uh, different things that you can do in in the world, and you know, different people, different creatures that you're meeting in the world. And I think I made up something about a were pig in a lab or something like that. I don't remember. <laughs> I mean, it, it, on one hand, I'm like, okay, you're advertising a job on Craigslist, but you actually have a test for it. And then I'm thinking, well, when you're doing narrative, I mean, aside from grammar, what exactly do you test? But, you know, creativity, well, that, that counts for something. That's a great question because actually um, their test was tailored for what they were doing, but I found in, if you talk to narrative types, we get really frustrated with writing tests 
because a lot of times they have nothing to do with, you know, the skills that the writer is going to need for their particular game, to be honest. The other thing is a lot of times narrative types are not involved in developing those tests. So an HR person may have made the test or the producer may have made the test and they're not looking at the skills that the, the writer is going to need or the narrative designer is going to need. Also, um, if they're paid and I would highly, highly recommend if you're watching this, paying people to do tests, uh, you're not paid enough because they're like, ah, this'll take you three hours. It, you can spend an entire weekend making sure that you do a great job on a test and three hours is not going to cut it um plus if you are taking time away hi dogs <laughs> that's, that's Mindy. <laughs> um if you are taking time doing a test that is time you are not spending on looking for other work or on a job that you currently have you're having to put time aside and so you need to be paid for that that's really important um in fact i've gotten to the point where if I'm not paid for the test um, and they're like, well, we want you to take a test. I'm like, well, you can always look at my portfolio and the work that I've already done because I have a big enough history that you can figure out if I'm the right person or not. Yeah. And a lot of I can a lot of veteran narrative types now do that. They're not going to take up, you know, like three or four days <laughs> to do a test they're not going to be paid for or paid well for. I, you know what? That's actually the same kind of situation in animation. People have been animating for years and years, and they'll go apply for a job with their demo reel. Well, we want you to take an animation test. Well, I just, ha you know, I've got 10 years of animation behind my belt. Here's my demo reel. Why do you need a test? Is it like right, free exactly. animation for the game or, you know because what I mean? in their head, they think you can't give somebody a job until you've given them a test. And that's just how they, it's, it's more like that knee-jerk mentality around it than anything else. They just, well, you you're, we're supposed to give them a test. We have to give them a test. And so that's what ends up happening. But it is true. It's like after you've been doing this for a while and you have a portfolio, there's not really a reason. There's no true justification to do this. You know, if you can't look at the stuff that I've done in the past and go, okay, that's good, or okay, that sucks, then you're, you're, you're just not running what you need to be running. And of course, just as an update, Andy, um, oh, we're like dead across the board on LinkedIn. It's nothing's working right there today. Um, so it's, it is interesting because I love finding out how people end up in some of the, because I mean, I have a niche job, you know, Dan to a certain extent, although streaming is becoming more and more popular, we have niche jobs. You know, there's even in our industry, they're niche jobs. And so it's always curious. I'm always curious to see how people, you know, got in and got to where they are now. So, um, so where did you make the design or, or was it a, was it a conscious choice or was it a just, you know, situational choice to do freelancing versus, you know, working for some company full time solely for them in a, you know, quote unquote, regular job? So 
once I got out of school as a professional student, um, I was just freelancing, period. So that's what I've always done. This was before I even got into games. Um, so as I mentioned, I'm a writer and an editor, so I've written all sorts of stuff, fiction, nonfiction, academic stuff. I've edited all sorts of stuff. I've always been a remote freelancer. Uh, the last time I worked in like an office space was when I was a writing mentor um, while I was getting, you know, my final degree. Um, and like the last, I've worked in a couple of offices. I've worked as an office temp and I've worked as a writing mentor and a TA. Um, beyond that, I have never worked in an office. I am probably at that point in time where if I tried to actually work at a company, I would not know what to do it myself. <laughs> like, it's, it's interesting because you hear people talk about, oh, I need the structure of an office. And I'm like, I, I have no idea what that is like. Or, you know, I, I have friends who freelance who, you know, have their own office space and they have like this rigid structure that they go through. They're like, how do you figure out your work schedule? And I'm like, I just figure out what I need to do and I get it done. <laughs> and I'm telling that's you, it. this is what I'll have done, and that's what I'm going to have done. So, and and it gets even worse <laughs> after a while, you know, when, when you haven't had a boss and you like pretty much are your own boss for a long right. time, then it's like, look, trust me, you really don't want to hire me because I would be <laughs> the worst employee you have ever had. That's, um, that just goes along with it as well. Yeah. So, and you, and you get all the frustration of, of, you know, when you see stuff, I see this with, you know, friends of mine and, and their jobs and they're talking about, you know, this goes on and this goes on. And I'm like, why, why are you doing that? That just doesn't make any sense. Like, oh yeah, they're in that real job world where you know, people have these things that they're supposed to do. But right. yeah, with us, no, we don't. Welcome to the freelance world where, you know, look, we're doing good if we're wearing pants. That's, that's yeah, exactly. You know? it, it, it's so fascinating to me because the, the startup that I'm working with right now, um, they're in Finland and of course they're all social distancing and they've moved out of the office and it's it's so fun to watch the slack because they're trying to fill their days with stuff right they're used to having a specific structure like um some of them have started they brought plants home from the office to make it feel more like the office and work conducive and it's kind of like their days are getting lost like <laughs> they don't know what time it is and that sort of thing because they've been on the schedule um it's just like well you know i get up around noon and i go to bed around five or six in the morning and i just fill my days with stuff <laughs> <laughs> when I first started, you know, consulting and, and working from home, it was like that a little because I didn't have, we, we didn't have our son. And that workers your, don't see. Drew your day, you learn to like keep track of what day it is by like maybe what's on TV. But now that doesn't matter anymore either because we all have on demand and we can watch whatever yeah. we want to watch whenever we want to watch it. And so for the last several years, it's been, okay, I know what day it is because I'm taking my son to school and he's going to have, you know, art today or music today. And, and now for the last two weeks, it's like, I wake up in the morning. I'm like, I have no idea what day it is. You know what? It's, 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 yeah, that's the one thing the whole coronavirus thing has done was it kind of messed up my clock a little bit. Like at the beginning of the week, 
uh, Saturday felt like Sunday, and Sunday felt like Monday, and it felt like I was a day ahead or behind for a while. And like, uh, one of my guilty pleasures is watching How to Get Away with Murder, and it started back yesterday, and I totally didn't realize it. But I was too busy playing Animal Crossing, otherwise I would have been I have not it, even played that yet. Everyone keeps like, you gotta get it. Do I want to spend the $60 on it? It is it is a game for this time. That is the best way that I can describe it. It's very chill. You can do whatever you want to do. Um, it, it, it's 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 a it's a it's a when I say safe space, I don't mean it in the way that we usually talk about it. But it's just a very whimsical, pleasant space to be in. All right, I got. Wait, hold on. Wait, no, it, you got to deal with Tom Nook and all of his bullshit. You know, to, well, be, to be frank. You need to ignore. Well, first of all, I'm a grinder he a by heart. He, it, it, I am a grinder at heart, so it's it's easier for me to pay off stuff. Like I've been playing for maybe eight or nine days now, and I already have three rooms in my house. So like Damn. I hoard fish, I go fishing, you know, I always go to the pier with bait. So I've caught, I've already caught like six or fish. I caught, I've caught three, whatever, you know, coal, how, you know, the one that only shows up in the rain. I caught one when it wasn't raining, by the way. So I'm not sure how that happened. I catch blue marlin all the time. I catch tuna all the time. Just, you know, hoard hey. your fish. I, I, you way ahead of me. Go to the pit. Go, go dig up clams. You know, take about you 10, have to be on the pier up. to do that. The rare fish spawn yep. at the pier. Ah. And now, or fish. Okay, so or fish will spawn anywhere in the ocean, but you are more likely to catch them if you go to the pier with bait. Uh -huh. So tuna and blue marlin only spawn at the pier. Or fish and like the, the the weird fish that starts with a C. I'm not going to try to pronounce it. Coelacanth. Anywhere. Yes, they will spawn anywhere, but you have a better chance at the pier. See, the problem on our island. I think we talked about this like last week. This is this show is like slowly evolving into the Animal Crossing hour. And Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the all networking, is, so it's fine. <laughs> my wife started. She I mean because she's the one that that's the the big Animal Crossing fan. She and I played the DS one years ago together, and we're both kind of sort of upset that you can't have your own island and we can't visit each other because. Since she was the first one to start playing, she's the primary character. So Tom Nook doesn't come to me or my son and say, hey, look, you know, you got to build houses for these people. She's the one that gets tasked with all that. And mm. if you're the second or third person on an island, you're basically just a glorified visitor. I mean, there's no, you, you can still turn stuff in and make money and, and build your house and do all this stuff, but you don't get the, you don't get the quests basically. And that's the part that's like disappointing, but it's good to know that your house does get bigger because I bought the first upgrade and I'm like, what the hell? It just like made the made the space bigger. I didn't get any other rooms. So that's you get three three rooms on the ground floor, then you get an upstairs and a basement. So how many times do you upgrade? Uh so you can upgrade four times. Yeah. I've yeah, heard no, that wait, a wait a minute, that's wrong. I have three, so no. So there are four on the ground floor. I don't have the fourth one yet. Then there's also an upstairs room. 
All right, I'm going to go grind some fish. I'm like you. Yeah. That's, that's what I do. And, you know, I'm, I'm the one that's trying to fill in all of the the quest things and get my uh, get my Nook miles to use for whatever reason I'm, I'm using them. But it, it, there was an article I read this morning that said this is what humans do when faced with a stressful environment or adversity is they try to take try to take control of things that they can control, which is why people are going and hoarding toilet paper. It's like, because yes. they can control that. Right. And that's the way Animal Crossing is. You can control your little island, you know, under the Nook regime. But, you know, aside from that, it is, I mean, it, it's one of those that I think, you know, last Friday between Animal Crossing coming out and Doom, we pretty much covered everybody. You know, yeah. all those people that want something nice and peaceful and tranquil and serene and then all the people that wanted to actually you know kill the hordes of hell you know it's all everybody's got their fix right now so on the resident resident evil came out too so oh yes i never got into that series though that's me neither i'm not i'm also not a a a big multiplayer person interestingly enough I, i like watching people play multiplayer but i'm not into it myself Hmm. That might be, well, I've, I'm an only child, so I used to play by myself, although that's not always true because I used to play Nintendo baseball with my father. Um, but I always like other people, I like to watch other people play together, but I didn't necessarily like playing myself. <laughs> In a totally non-voyeur-esque way, just just well, that, see, streaming always made sense to me before streaming became a thing. Because I liked watching people play. Like I'll just, you know, go on YouTube or Twitch and just watch people play because I've always enjoyed that. So how did you? But how did you do it before the streaming came along? Oh no, I mean just watching, like you know, you know, in the same room watching. Ah, okay, all right, cool. And and this is also a lesson on how quickly we'd like devolve on tangents <laughs> in this show. So let's, let me just try to route this back in. Okay, so sure. when you're, I mean, with what you do on narrative design, it's not something unless you're working on like this gigantic epic RPG for you project type thing is it something that you are involved in through the entire process of the game or is it something that lends itself more to freelancing because it's like okay I come in and I do this and then I don't have anything to do for a while so I can go work on a different project how does it how does what you do fit in with the the normal game development cycle okay so let me talk about narrative design generally and then I'll talk about on a personal level So, narrative design in and of itself is not necessarily like the dialogue and the characters and story as we think of it in games. Narrative design, as I like to think of it, is that bridge between the story and the other parts of the game. And it makes sure that the story is reflected in all aspects of the game. So a really great example of that is the UI design in the Mass Effect series. Who are you in Mass Effect? You are the captain of a spaceship. What does the UI look like in Mass Effect? It looks like the UI that you might find on a spaceship. That's narrative design, making sure that the 
UI in the game looks like something that is in the world of the game. Um, so that's a small example. Another really great example of narrative design, and it's probably the best that I've seen, is from the first Life is Strange game, where everything in that game was a reflection of Max's inner world. Like, the music was her literal soundtrack. Um, there's a great little detail in the game where she has a guitar in her room. If you turn on her stereo, you know, there'll be a song playing, you go pick up the guitar, she'll start playing along to it. <laughs> you know, that's that's narrative design um, that's a part of the gameplay. So it's not necessarily story in that way. And so a narrative designer can be involved in a tiny mobile game or that, you know, epic RPG that you are mentioning. And so like in a tiny mobile game, you might uh, make sure that the sound design and the art um, match the story that is being told in the game. The narrative designer may not ever write any dialogue. The narrative designer might work with game writers. That would be for a larger game, you know, with a, with a budget that could take care of both game writers and narrative designers. For me personally, um, I've, I've been in different situations, so I've never worked on a project where I was there all the way through. Um, usually, so I have worked with a lot of clients where they were not game developers and they were making their first game for you know one reason or another. Um, there was one uh, developer who was making an educational game. I've worked with um, some developers that they were doing it for branding or marketing purposes. So I was like the first dev on board basically. And you know, I was in like a dual game design and narrative design role, which is um, kind of interesting. But I basically helped them flesh out what the world of the game would be and what their story would be. And then because, you know, like a lot of indies, they were doing it as they could, like when money would come in, they would bring somebody else on board. I basically was gone after that point in time. Um, so I didn't actually get to work with the team. Now, with the educational game that I worked on, um, I was there for a much longer period of time. I was there from um, working with the team, figuring out the story scenarios, and we pitched the story scenarios to um, you know our our client, um, and then we you know got to work on art. We did stuff even like looking at hairstyles, like what kind of hairstyles would people living in this particular uh, geolocation, you know, what kind of hairstyles would they have? How would those hairstyles match, um, you know, a very practical character? Things like that. Those little details are all narrative design. Because if I have somebody who's very practical and who is, you know, um, traveling cross country and, you know, out in the wild, they're not going to have a really, you know, fluky bouffant on top of their head. They have a beehive. So all of that stuff is is narrative design. Um, I, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> that, it's, so... It, we see a lot of aspects of this, and you know, I know Kate Edwards well, and the stuff that she does in, in culturalization along with localization. Yeah. So all of that makes perfect sense. Who in the industry, either developer or publisher-wise, do you feel 
Uh, and I'm not going to say the best because that's always, you know, very subjective. But who are some of the companies that do great jobs with with the narrative design, the stuff that you're you're talking about? Uh, well, I, I just mentioned Don't Nod um, with Life is Strange. Like I said, that's the best use of narrative design I've, I've ever seen. And in fact, when people want to know what narrative design is, I say, go and analyze, play Life is Strange and analyze the narrative design in Life is Strange because everything, like the UI, um, the menus, the, the, Max is an, is an artist. She's a photographer and she's an artist. So the UI looks like her sketching, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, uh, there's like a time loop thing that's in the game too. So like some of the UI looks like a spiral. Um, Bioware, uh, of course, you know, these huge RPGs that are, you know, story driven. Um, they have teams of narrative designers who work on those games. Um, so Bioware is probably the one that I would, uh, as a company, I would mention. But really, if you want to understand narrative design and all of the different things that you can do with it, that's not limiting it to like the world and the sound and the art, but like every aspect, the gameplay, the UI, all that stuff, go look at Life is Strange. I, I'm looking at it now. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm going to stop doing that for. So a there's minute, a so. there's an amazing moment just to to tie in like because I talked about how important the music is in that game. Um, when she you kind of have a tutorial in the classroom, um, and I'm not going to spoil anything about this game because there there are many. But she's she's at a new school. She's an introvert, and she doesn't feel like she fits in. She has imposter syndrome. So if, when you lose when you leave that tutorial section of the game, and she needs a moment to breathe, right? She leaves the classroom. She puts in her earbuds, and the music starts playing. So now the soundtrack is the music she's listening to. It's just stuff like that that's really clever, that's really smart, and that goes with the atmosphere of that game. That's awesome. So, given that, that you know, you're like us and, and we work remote, and so we're not used to having, none of us are bringing plants home from the office to put in, you know, in, our, in our offices. <laughs> How has all of this virus impacted your daily schedule, your business schedule, you know, what you do on a daily basis? So thankfully, um, my uh, editing work with um, Tenth Muse is ongoing. Like I, that did not drop out. Um, I copy edit um, online courses for a university and that's kind of spotty. So like, during the spring, I'll get more work. And then, you know, as uh, it leads into the summer, they're not needing their courses um, edited because they're not having as many students. So that's been a, a little spotty right now that might pick up again. Um, I Dan mentioned that he's not going out as much. It's kind of funny because my, my father sent me a message and said, uh, stop mingling, which is kind of funny because I don't mingle very much anyway. I'm more of a homebody. <laughs> Except I do, like, there. there's one day out of the week, and I think it's really important if you are a remote freelancer to kind of switch what, what the environment your brain is in. 
so you don't get stuck in a rut. I would actually go out. I had like a local pizza place where I could sit in the back booth for like eight or nine hours. And like they all know me there. Um, and I'll just, you know, sit there with my laptop and work and really just hone in on whatever I need to get done. And so I haven't been able to do that. So that, that was a part of my routine, you know, where I could get super, super focused, where I could change up my environment. Um, I'm one of those types, like people will say, they have an app that sounds like a cafe or you know they listen to music i cannot listen to music it makes me daydream um i usually have <laughs> well daydream's not quite accurate i i visualize stories because I, I write my own stuff and i very early at a very early age i learned how to use music as like a soundtrack for the stories i was you know creating in my head because they they run like movies for me um, so I can't listen to music. Um, I have the TV on in the background uh, instead of like cafe noise. Um, but like at this one pizza place that I would go to, there would be a TV on, I couldn't hear it, but it'd be like a sports. Um, and I might uh, put on like the radio station, sports radio station or stream television while I was working. Um, and so I haven't been able to get in that place where I'm really able to focus. And so my Thursdays have felt kind of strange um, in, in that way. But everything else is is pretty much the same, I have to say. Because like I said, I don't go out a whole lot. Um, and also I, I do jog, but I jog at a time when nobody else is jogging and that has not changed. Um, so that's that. I, I have noticed though, people. I, I jog very, very early in the morning, and when I say very early in the morning, I mean very, very early. In the morning. Like, like have, when it's still dark early in the morning. Yes, very dark. <laughs> I have noticed though, you know, because they, the experts are suggesting that you do get out of your house. You, you know, keep your six feet of distance, but do get out of your house for your own mental health. And I have noticed, you know, people jogging down the street that I jog. I don't jog on my own street, but I have seen people out later, like 10 o'clock at night, that sort of thing. That's not when you would usually see people jogging, but they are doing it now because they know nobody else is going to be there. So, you know, and, and that will continue until the zombies rise up, and then we have to worry about yes. that part too. So yeah, you know. you know, I was never really into zombie shows until now. <laughs> Just go look, play Fallout Four, play State of Decay Two. You know, now we refer to them as training simulators. They're not necessarily, <laughs> they're not necessarily games anymore. Are you looking for a publisher for your game? Well, we have something special just for you. It's the most comprehensive listing of PC, console, and mobile publishers in the industry. Over 700 companies sorted by platform with links to their websites. You can get the list at www.powellgroupconsulting.com slash publisher dash list. And you can get it for free. Check it out. Hey, we've got a, we got a question in here um, oh, from awesome. Prime Material Cast. First, uh, Prime Material Cast says, "Super dope! I wish I got here earlier. I'm working on changing careers into indie, freelance or otherwise." So the question is, what kind of writing samples did you share in the early days to land some of your first indie gigs? 
Okay, so um, something that you probably missed is how I got into games. So let me just backtrack on that to, to let that help you. I, I came into um, game writing with no understanding of game development whatsoever. I did, however, have a history of publishing short stories. Um, one thing I did not say is when I was looking to get into game writing, there was this old message board that I was a part of that was speculative fiction writers. And a friend of mine on there actually owned a, an indie studio in Brazil. And um, I said, I really want to get into games, but I don't know how to go about it. And one thing he told me was, well, you have the credentials. You, you are more um, ready to write for games than 90% of people who are looking for game writing games without knowing anything about game development, without ever having worked on the game before. Um, so the fact that it sounds like you are already in game development, so that's already very helpful. Um, I don't know if you are already writing, if you've published anything or not, but like if you have short stories, that can be part of your portfolio. Um, that was a part of my portfolio. I didn't have any game writing samples to show. The other thing is, if you are not already familiar with Twine, um, there are a lot of YouTube's, YouTube videos where you will see Twine tutorials. And Twine is a really neat program um, where you can make your own branching narrative games. It's very simple to use. In fact, it's made to be simple to use. If you know how to basically um, put like notes on and, and, and connect them with string, you'll be able to use Twine. That's what the layout is basically like. And what Twine does is it exports an HTML file so other people can play it. But what's great about Twine is it shows that you understand nonlinearity. It can show that you understand how to design choices, um, how to write interesting characters, how to write interesting dialogue, um, and make a great experience for a player. Um, I actually teach um, uh, game writing online, and the final project for the students is Twine. Like back in the day, if you wanted to um, write for Bioware, they made you uh, make like a, a, a small game in their in the old Neverwinter Nights module. They're now asking for uh, Twine games as part of the portfolio. Um, Telltale may it rest in peace, or maybe not. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> was was looking for Twine games. So if you don't have any other writing yet. Get really good at making Twine games um, because people are going to want to play them. Now, don't make them really, really long. You know, make them like five to ten minutes um, because uh, people are probably going to have to wade through lots and lots of emails and lots of portfolios. But give them a quick experience to play. Um, and like I was saying, if you're not familiar with it, with Twine, you can uh, look up YouTube tutorials um, and they'll show you everything you need to know. As, a, as an English literature major, I'm sitting here looking at Twine and one of the examples is Moby Dick. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> there are not enough lines and cross references and tangents on that board to accurately represent Moby Dick. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> that would be if you write something like Moby Dick, you're never going to get a game in the industry, a job no. in the industry That's because quick, five to ten minutes. Holy shit! Yes. What do you I mean your I'm... game devolved into what types of breeds of whales are? You know. <laughs> Oh wow, um, that's interesting. And then so, tangent. I had not thought about it, but you know, as we're sitting here at home trying to educate an eight-year-old, and you know, we have to suddenly come up with things like creative writing and arts and something like this. Something like Twine is fantastic for. You know, even if you don't tell them they're actually making a game, just look, here's this bulletin board system, you know, pegboard system that you can use to create a story. And I hadn't um, thought about it, but you're exactly right. Yeah. And, and I mentioned, you know, people make games with it, but people also just plot out their narrative arcs with it. Um, because I, and, it <laughs> right here on their Twitter feed, the they just retweeted something from a teacher. But so uh, just wanted to showcase some amazing work by one of my grade sixes. Our 11 year olds, incredible. Look go. at this. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and planning D&D campaigns. But all right, so wait, prime material there. I'm going to throw you a question while, while we keep talking. How, I mean, I remember when we used to get together, my D&D group, it almost devolved, and I imagine this is the way it is for a lot of groups, into a, okay, it's the players versus the DM. And, <laughs> you know, we would take shit off on such a random route that I'm not sure he could even plan for it completely. <laughs> I mean, I had a character sheet just taken out of my hand one day because he went, you you min-max that character too much. You're, he's dead. Draw, roll another one. Um, but but there are a lot of uses for this. I'm going to check this out for, for my kid. In, also, in thanks for mentioning Dean because that's also very important. I have heard uh, you know, people who hire narrative designers and game writers say this. They want to know if you are a DM. Yeah. Why? Because you understand player agency. <laughs> All right, we no, got we, we got another question. I'm going to drop from um, on Facebook. John Miguel Chris John says or asks, "What is more important when it comes to a writing portfolio, as far as quality versus quantity is concerned?" Quality, always. I mean, for 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 anything, always go with quality. Um, and if you're just starting out, that's fine. Um, you know, like a year or two from now, you might have better stuff. Take out the stuff you've got now and replace it. Um, so you're you're always striving to be improving, right? You know, even I've been doing this 12 years. I I hope I'm getting better. Um, and so I'm going to take out some stuff that I used to have in there. Um, so make sure if, if don't put something in there just to have it in there. Um, and you know intuitively, like, you're like eh, is that really? If you're getting that check that maybe this isn't the best, go ahead and take it out. Um, there's no shame in that. So I'm I'm a, I'm a 3D animator, and one of the things that we were taught is, and I'm sure it's probably the same with writing, is whenever you're doing your demo reel, 
you want your very best shot at the very beginning so that way it grabs people's attention right because if somebody like if somebody I'm sure is with writing um, as well somebody that's hiring somebody they're going through a lot of writings right somebody that's the company that's looking for an animator just like they'll spend all day going through demo reels so you want to grab their attention the very first then you want to have some really awesome stuff in the middle and then you want to have your second best stuff at the very end so that they remember you so you want to grab their attention keep their attention and then something to wow them at the end Damn, it, dude, it, you're taking the, the whole portfolio thing to the meta level there well, so yeah. portfolios with writing are a little bit different um so and and here's a, here's another thing about portfolios that I think is really important to uh, discuss. Um, so let me remind me to get back to the difference between writing portfolios and animation portfolios. But this is really important, especially if you have an online portfolio. Be aware that plagiarism is a very real thing. Um, in fact, I have friends who have taken down their online portfolios because people were stealing their stuff. In fact, I can tell you <laughs> that friends have received writing samples in portfolios that are from actual published games. And they know the writers of those published games. That's the same kind of thing happens with animation. <laughs> writer was not the person who submitted the piece. Right, that same thing so. happens with animation. It's crazy, they'll submit, submit an animation, and it's like they don't realize that animators they they know each other you know what i mean they've worked together yeah. so if you have an online portfolio uh this isn't a surefire protection but if people are too lazy to do their own work it's a you know it's one wall to put up make sure that everything is in pdf form um and make sure that you have some kind of watermark on your work that's the first thing um, the second thing is um, you might consider not having an online portfolio um, and saying in an email, you know, I can send you, you know, tailored examples for, you know, the project. And that's another thing, like a lot of times you can read a job description and you have no idea what the game is about. And so you're kind of shooting in the dark, sending samples. So what I do when I send an email, if I if I don't know exactly what they're looking for, I have um, several types of documentation, like character bios, like a short world building sample, a cutscene, that sort of thing. And I send those. And then I say that I can, you know, tailor my samples uh, once I know what you need um, but getting back to the difference between writing portfolios and animation portfolios is one thing I've noticed a lot about a, a lot of writing uh, portfolios is they're not exactly organized so like uh, writers who do more than one thing maybe they do film and TV and games I look at their portfolio and I can't tell what's game writing and I can't tell what's TV and film so you want to have it organized, like make sure if you do different things that they're on different pages. Also make sure like it's, you just don't have a sample thrown up there. Say this is a bio, this is a character bio, you know, this is lore writing, actually label and categorize stuff. So that's why I would say it's a little bit different than animation where you can, you know, put up front the best stuff. So with writing, you always want to make sure this is your best character bio example. This is your best cutscene example. Um, because you don't know, you can't determine 
what order somebody is going to click through your links on a website. Right. right. Well, for, for animators, they put like, well, this is a character character animation bio, and this is an act or a demo reel, and this is an action demo reel. You know, the animators kind of do that same thing. Um, uh, we have another question. If you want to answer, Nightwolf. Nightwolf says, "I've been writing game design documents as instructed from my university for narrative. Would it be better to have a Twine story or have it more in written novel game design document format?" Okay, so um, that's kind of game design documents and Twine are showing different skill sets. So the answer to your question is both. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, the answer and, to almost every question yes. on the show is usually it depends. Yeah. So yeah. So the game, the game design document, and and it, you, as you're probably already discovering, there are different types of game design documents, right? Um, if you're going into a game writing role, and especially if you're working with an indie, you will probably find out very quickly that you wear many hats. So if you can write game design documents, that's fantastic because somebody may need you to write it for them. Um, like I was saying, I started out, when I was starting out, my second gig was as a game designer. Um, and I was, I actually had to figure out how to write game design documents, right? So that, that's important. Um, the Twine, Twine is showing a very different skill set because now you're moving from, uh, the other thing about a game design document, it is a technical document, right? It's not like a creative document. Twine is going to be more creative, although it shows off your design skills. So Twine is showing that you can make a player experience. The technical document in a game design document is showing that you can collaborate with other people and give them information um, in an organized manner and that they can understand it. Um, and that when they come to you and in the in, in collaborating, you can change that game design document to reflect how the game is changing. So that those are very, very different skill sets. They're both very important. So Twine shows off your creativity. Uh, you understand player agency. You understand how to design a good experience for a player. Twine, uh, the game design document is showing off your technical communication skills. You know how to collaborate with people. You know how to organize information so that it makes sense and people can easily find what they need to know to do their jobs. See, I told you, sometimes we get responses, sometimes we don't. It's, yeah. This is a... <laughs> All right, so we have another one. Uh, we, we've, got, we've got like three or four questions. Um, um, oh, McJohn, Miguel, Chris John says, was talking about samples. Are, are they ever paid? And yes, they are paid. That's what Toya was talking about earlier, saying that, you know, she, yeah, she please, you, do get... <laughs> please get paid for doing that stuff. I mean, there are there are, just a, a caveat on that. There are still developers who don't pay for writing tests, and so if, if you're at a point where you can't point to an extensive portfolio and say, "Hey, here's my history," if you can't figure out from my history whether I'm worth it or not, you've got to pay me for this test. If you aren't at that point and you really need work, you are going to have to make that decision for yourself. If you're going to do a writing test um, where you're not paid or not um, because you have to kind of weigh the costs of I really need this gig and I need to go for it or not 
So what do you do and, and what can other freelancers do? And this goes beyond just narrative, but to promote themselves and to find new opportunities. How do you market you? So I think one, one really obvious one that gets overlooked is networking. And I mentioned earlier, this, this here, this stream is networking. Um, and networking takes many forms. Um, going to conferences, like nobody's going to conferences right now, but speaking at a conference is a great way to network because you get to show your expertise in certain subjects. That's marketing yourself. You know, you're up on a stage or you're at a dais marketing yourself. So a, a lot of times, and it's 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 a it's a shame for several reasons that we didn't have East Coast game conferences here. But I was actually going to moderate a roundtable on um, speaking engagements as a form of marketing and networking, and like we were going to cover topics like when to know that you're ready to pitch something to a conference. Um, so think about the great thing now, though, is there are a lot of streaming conferences, so you might even have a bigger audience for we, some of these things. Than we just there. released. I mean, in addition to like our digital conference, we actually just released a list this week of. Digital. I'll, I'll put it in. I'll put it in chat. Keep going. Sorry. So, um, if, if you've never pitched to a conference before and you're like, "Am I ready?" If you've ever had somebody say, "Why don't you pitch this?" You're probably ready. <laughs> if you've ever. So I I have um, something called it's not in the writer's manual, which is a roundtable that happens at the narrative uh, summit at GBC every year. That started the second year I went to GDC, which was 2009. And again, I am a newbie. I am a complete noob, don't know anything. Um, I walked out, I walked up to Richard Dansky, who's the uh, central Tom Fancy writer at Red Storm, um, because I sat in on like one of his writer's roundtables, and I was just kind of amazed at everything he was talking about. It was stuff I'd never heard before. And it dawned on me that there was really nothing at GDC for somebody like me who didn't know anything or who was just entering the industry. And so I walked up to him and I said, you know, it would, it would be great if there were some kind of roundtable session that was for somebody like me. And he said, you know, the logistics of GDC wouldn't work, but this was back when GDC Austin existed. He said, but you should pitch that to GDC Austin. And I was just like, what? Because I'm, I'm a nobody, right? I, it, but he said, you should pitch that. And I pitched it. And ever since then, every year since, it's been at GDC. So if somebody tells you you should pitch something, you should take them seriously. Okay, especially if they're in, if they're responsible for the programming of a conference. <laughs> especially if they're in a position of power. Yeah, that's a, yes, exactly. that's a good um, one. That's one way to know. Um, you might not know what to pitch. Well, what are you good at? What do you have expertise in? Like, um, it sounds like some of your students. You know, what have you learned as students that will help uh, students who are, um, 
you know, uh, just starting out. Um, maybe you've just gotten into the industry, things you think students might know that you, you have to learn from personal experience and you can't do it by, you know, making projects or find it in textbooks. Um, you know, do you have a, a, a niche? Uh, that's also really, really important as, as a freelancer to have, you know, a couple of niches where you are an expert in something. What's your niche? What do you not hear people talking about? Um, what did you learn on a project? Uh, you know, can you do a game postmortem where you learn something that you think is very valuable to other people? Um, and, you know, if you've never pitched before, you don't have to start with GDC. Look for conferences in your area. First of all, they're going to be a lot cheaper, so that helps. Um, but also, um, practice by, you know, going to a high school, um, going to a middle school. Um, I've spoken at, like, a high school uh, game design class. Um, they would love to have you. And, you know, maybe it's not a game design class, but guess what? Kids love games. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. you know, they, they may not be interested in other things, but they love games. Um, and, you know, you know, give a short presentation there and, and take questions. Um, so start looking for, like, like again, I, I, I don't know when we're going to be able to have, you know, face-to-face -face conferences again, um, but you might start doing some research on those. Look at how... All right, did everybody go away or is that just me? We lost her. Oh, okay. We lost her. She'll be back in just a second. Yeah. This, this is the, the wonders of doing a stream in, in the midst of the coronavirus when everyone is on the internet at once. But, you know, just to expand on what Toya's talking about, if it has to do with business or marketing or licensing, pitch it to me. Pitch it to streams because, I mean, to be blunt, streaming is what's replacing conferences right now. So, you know, it's a... Sorry, I just got a message and it completely derailed my train of thought there. But, you know, it, it's a wonderful way to get out there and test this stuff. And, you know, when we're talking about using streaming and using speaking and using networking as a ways of promoting yourself, all of those are things that you do to position yourself as an expert in, in a, on a topic. And so that can be doing a podcast, that can be doing blog posts on Gama Sutra or LinkedIn or Medium or wherever you may want to do that. The more knowledge that you can get out there, the better off you know it's going to make you. And you know it helps with your Google SEO and, and things like that as well. But that's what you want to do. You want to when people start looking for game writer or you know business for for video games, you want your name to pop up there. And so there's a lot of that of it, that aspect of it as well. Um, I mean, what do you do, Andy, when you're trying to get the word out about what you do? How do you promote yourself? Oh, geez. Um, social media, <laughs> social media, um, just really talking to people in discords and stuff, big time. Discords 
are amazing for what I do. See, I mean, it, it's all about just making yourself be the expert. And the, and the other thing is, and y'all heard me talk about this, this is why this show existed or exists, is a lot of times, even if you've only been doing this for two years, <coughs> excuse me, then you've probably got knowledge that someone else can use. You don't have to be, you know, sitting down and doing something for 5, 10, 15, 20 years before you've got actionable advice that you can give to people. You know, there's a lot of, you know, really valuable postmortems and articles on places like Gama Sutra that come from first-time developers. And so even if you're just going out there and saying, hey, look, this is where I had struggles, this is what I did well, this is what I didn't, all of that is wonderful material for doing this sort of work. Um, all right, so we are running out of time and I'm not sure if we're gonna get Toya back at all right now, she's still hovering. Yeah, uh, is there any, that's okay. Anything else we want to cover today, Andy? No, I think we're good. What we got? We got some shows next week, though. They're going to be awesome. We have Tony back on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, we so yeah, we've got. She's frozen. Wednesday, and then let's see what else. On Friday, I'm not going to promise you the Friday one yet because I think that one got rescheduled. We'll have shows next week. How about that? There we go. <laughs> yeah, we got some shows next week. So yeah, I'll figure out what it is shortly. But yes, we are going to have shows next week as well. Um, all the, the the standard stuff. I put the thing. I put the link in chat if you are curious about upcoming online conferences. Since you know all of the real traditional ones have been canceled, you know you can go to bitly bit dot slash online game conferences. And there's a nice little list there. And if yours isn't listed, there's a link at the bottom to uh, to add it. Uh, and then what else? Discord, discord.gg slash indie, indie game business. business? Yeah, anchor.fm slash indie game business. Uh, we've got a ton of podcasts on there and this one will be up there in, um, I don't know, an hour or so. Momentarily. Shortly. Momentarily, shortly. All right, everybody, stay safe. Don't go outside. Don't hang out with people. Uh, <laughs> yeah, stay inside and stay safe. Exactly. Peace out. See Thank you. Later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at IndieGame.Business.